Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. My name's Devin, I'm the lead pastor here at Berean, and I'm glad that you are here with us today. Now, I know it's not spring yet, and we've been reminded of that yet again with a recent dumping of snow, but my wife and I decided over the weekend to do a little bit of spring cleaning. So we've only been in this house for about one year, and already we're finding the need to reorganize, to go through the areas of storage and to condense and get rid of stuff and drop stuff off at donations. And so this Saturday, we spent some time in the basement kind of going through some storage areas. And I came across this Tupperware bin of memories from my childhood. You see, and it struck me that these were actually my parents' memories, but when I got a house, they decided they didn't want this junk lying around anymore. So they gave it to me to remember my precious childhood. So I opened it up quickly and looked through it, and there were all these mementos from my early life, and it brought me back to my school days, my elementary school days, how simple and how much fun those were. And if at the time you were to ask me what my favorite subject in school was, I would have said, recess. Because every recess... Being Canadian, we would play ball hockey. Here's how this usually went. We had one teacher, Mr. Smith. He was the grade six teacher. And uh, I don't know if he was trying to relive his glory days or something, but he would just dominate. He would hack and slash. I mean, you're not even wearing gloves. And so the slightest chop on a finger and you're trying not to cry. He's not taking a moment's break. He's just going for it, trying to prove himself, trying to be the big dog in the game, which he was. He would wind up with these huge slap shots and all you'd see is kids diving out of the way. (laughs) You definitely wanted to be on his team. But what would happen as we would gather each recess, we would choose two captains, the two best players, and then we would pick teams. So I'll take you, I'll take that one, I'll take you, I'll take you. You know, the best, the brightest, the most athletic, the most competitive, the most skilled going first until eventually it's kind of slim pickings. And you're stuck with a choice between Bobby and Cindy. Bobby, who chose to wear knee-high winter boots in the middle of May for some reason, who was uncoordinated, had two left feet, and cried a lot. You could go with Bobby, or you could go with Cindy. Cindy could have been good if she didn't get distracted so much, and oftentimes you would find her picking flowers in the middle of the play, or perhaps making small talk or conversation on the sides. You see, whenever we were picking teams, who went first? The best, the strongest, the most dominant, the most athletic, 
And who went last? The weakest, the smallest, those who couldn't contribute. You know, what's interesting is that when we read in the gospel about Jesus picking his team, we'll see that he flipped it on its head. That instead of him choosing to surround himself with the best and the brightest and the most talented and the most influential and the most powerful, that Jesus, as he's gathering his team, chooses regular people like you and like me. This is how Jesus chose his 12 disciples. This is how Jesus works today. He uses regular, average, common, typical, Joes and Janes, just like you and just like me. Now, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 3. In the passage that we're covering today, Jesus is selecting, is choosing his team. He's choosing his 12 disciples whom he appoints apostles. And we're going to unpack all of that. I'm going to read verse 7 of chapter 3 down to verse 19. Now, if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to do so right now as we honor God's word. As I read, beginning in verse 7. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus, it says, withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had to who had diseases, pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up to the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot, and... Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. Now the selection of the 12, these 12 disciples, 12 apostles, is is a significant event in the Gospels. And just before we get there, I want to make a few comments on verses 7 through 12. You see, Jesus, it says, is gathering a crowd from, and it lists off a bunch of geographical points. 
And if you flipped to the back of your Bible, and if your Bible has a map in it, what you will see is that this word, this, this message of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he's doing, is beginning to spread in all directions. It's spreading north. It's spreading south. It's spreading east. And it had spread west up into the Mediterranean Sea. Word about Jesus had gotten out. People were coming from all over to see. You know, what's interesting is that sometimes we can read an ancient text like this. We can read scripture and we feel this subconscious need to assume that they were all naive back then. That they were uneducated, unenlightened individuals, and so they would believe anything that came up. No. We have people coming from all regions to see Jesus working because they would have heard firsthand encounters of people who had been transformed, who had been healed, who had had demons cast out of them. Word was spreading, trustworthy word was spreading as Jesus ministered. And so people from all over the region are gathering together. He is healing people and he is casting out demons. It says in verse 11 that whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fall down before him and they would cry out, you are the son of God. And Jesus tells them to be quiet. You know, it's interesting because on first blush, you're like, hey, on a theology test, these demons were getting an A+. They knew exactly who Jesus was. And in the Gospel of Mark, there is no human character who recognizes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God until the centurion, when Jesus is being crucified, and he says in 1539, truly this man was the Son of God. Up until this point, up until that point, no one in the story understands who Jesus is truly and fully. And yet this demon here recognizes the truth of who Jesus is. This demon shows us that you can have good theology and be damned. The demon knew who Jesus was. And his end and destination were sure. It's possible to have orthodox theology and not have any personal relationship with Jesus. So Jesus tells him to be silent, be quiet. He will not let them handle his PR. Jesus will not permit them to be the ones who dictate the way in which his identity is revealed to the masses. Why? They serve their master, Satan, the father of lies. And even here, Jesus knows that they would seek to twist this truth to lead people astray. So Jesus is having none of it. The revelation of who this person truly is, that's gonna be handled and dictated and controlled by Jesus. He's not giving that authority away. He's not going to allow these false witnesses these lying tongues to control the revelation of his identity. So Jesus then goes up into the mountain and he calls these disciples. 
You know, we use this term disciple or discipleship quite often in the church world today. Uh, Let me unpack that a little bit. You see, in the Gospels, there are various groups of people that respond to Jesus. You have the enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, Herodians, the Sadducees. They set themselves up in opposition to Jesus. They oppose him at every turn. Jesus thusly opposes them in their hard-heartedness. You have his enemies. But you also have the crowds, and you can see this in verse 7. The crowds are gathering. Word had spread. People would come from all over. I mean, the crowds would come to be fed. The crowds would come to be entertained. The crowds would come because they didn't have Netflix and there wasn't much to do. The crowds would just gather together and kind of lean in a little bit. What's going on over here? A crowd draws a crowd. Then you have the term disciple. And disciple simply means a learner, a pupil, a student. I mean, John the Baptist had disciples. And in a general sense, disciple is simply somebody who is following a teacher. In total, the word disciple is used 233 times in the Gospels. It's used in a general sense to refer to those who are following Jesus at varying levels of commitment in Luke chapter 6, verse 13, 17, and verse 20. But here we have this special designation of the 12 disciples. Okay? These 12 disciples we read in the text were appointed and called also apostles. So the apostles, the 12 apostles, were again a unique group. An apostle simply means a missionary, a messenger, an emissary, somebody who is sent out on behalf of an authority. Now see if you can track with me here. Not all disciples were apostles, but all apostles were first disciples. You cannot be sent out unless you have sat at the feet of Jesus and you have learned from him. Otherwise, you're just going out on your own authority. And these 12 apostles had a unique role in the church. Later in the New Testament, other terms are introduced. Disciple continues to be used, but so does a servant of Christ. So does a member of the family of God. Brother and sister begins to be used. The offices of the church are given. Pastor, overseer, elder, and so forth. But what about apostle? And, I don't know, are are there apostles today? My LinkedIn profile gets numerous requests for friends who call themselves apostles serving all over the world. What do we do with that? What do we do with this idea of apostles today? And are there apostles today? Well, let's unpack that. You see, there's a difference between, I think, saying somebody has, I don't know, apostolic gifts than saying that somebody holds the office of an elder. Typically in the church world, if if I were to say, you know, that person has apostolic gifts, it would be somebody who's got a lot of initiative, who can start things, who can energize, entrepreneurial spirit, who can maybe plant churches and network people, and, and, and we praise God for that. But what about the office of apostle? Is that 
current for the church today. I would say to you that what we see in the scripture is that this title apostle, this calling and this role and office of apostle is one that does not exist today. Now let me explain why. When you look at apostleship in the New Testament, you'll see there are some common themes. The first is this. Apostles were the foundation of the church. Ultimately, that is Christ himself. We know that. But in Ephesians chapter 2, apostles are called the foundation of the church. Secondly, apostles were eyewitnesses to the events of Jesus. So Judas Iscariot, who's mentioned here with the tag betrayed Jesus, he betrays Jesus at the end with a kiss. You know, maybe you're familiar with the story. He goes out and in some form of like worldly grief, he takes his own life. He didn't repent. He didn't call out for forgiveness. He just feels bad and so he goes and he takes his life. And when the apostles are gathered together in Acts chapter 1, they are seeking a replacement for Judas. Let another take his place. Jesus, you know, Jesus uh, sent out 12 of us. There should be 12 of us to continue this ministry forward. And so what they do is they have this process by which they discern who God is calling to be an apostle. And one of the distinctives that they were looking for was that whoever they chose had to be an eyewitness, had to have seen what was happening, had to have seen the resurrected Lord, like Paul, the apostle, on the road to Damascus. So apostles were eyewitnesses to the resurrection specifically. Number three, apostles performed incredible, miraculous signs and wonders. They had the authority of Christ in their ministries in a way that no one today can mirror. Now, does God still work miraculously in our world today? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when you read the pages of, say, the book of Acts and you see the apostles in motion, man, it sounds, when you're reading it, just like the accounts of Jesus in the Gospels. I mean, they go out and they heal all who have affliction, cast out all these demons. They have unusual power and authority given to them by God. Jesus commissioned his authority to his apostles. So because apostles were the foundation of the church, because they were and required to be eyewitnesses of the events, because they had this unusual ability to perform signs and wonders, the office of apostle was for a season and time. Now there are individuals claiming to be apostles today. It's called the New Apostolic Reformation. Individuals who claim that they are now apostles and thusly have unique authority and power. What do you do with that? Well, here's what I would recommend to you. Just ignore it. Don't battle on Twitter. Really doesn't go anywhere. But just honestly ignore it. If there were apostles today, I would argue that they would be universally recognized by the church. Not just by the church that this dude started. 
right? So with that in mind, that we have this distinction in the Gospels between the enemies, the crowds, the general disciples, the 12 disciples who then became the 12 apostles, let's look then at his gathering together of this team, the 12 disciples that become the 12 apostles. And there's a pattern here that I want to call your attention to. Because this pattern is consistent throughout the pages of Scripture from the beginning through to the end. This pattern is found in the life and ministry of Jesus. And this pattern is found throughout church history. Because this is how God works. Here's the pattern that I want you to notice. God often uses regular people to accomplish his incredible purposes. More often than not, God uses people like, get this, like you. People like me to accomplish his incredible purposes. Well, Devin, maybe this isn't a pattern so much as just kind of bad luck. Right? Maybe this was what Jesus was left with. We've all seen those feel-good sports movies where this high-powered executive, maybe a washed-up old pro, gets in some legal trouble, so he's got to do some community service. So he decides to become a coach in Little League or minor hockey, and he's got this ragtag group of players, and they don't even have the right equipment. And he's going to persevere, and through his training and dedication, this team finally succeeds, and they win. Is that what I'm talking about? No. You see, Jesus doesn't simply make the best of a bad situation here. Look with me at verse 13. He goes up to the mountain and he calls to him, what's it say? Those that he desired. What this means is that this group of regular people that he's going to give his authority to, that he's going to use in incredible ways. These are the exact people that he desired. This is what he wanted. He could have gone to Rome and called Caesar, the generals, the senate, to follow him. He could have then gone out into all the various Roman provinces and gathered up all of the religious leaders, all of the provincial leaders to follow him. That was not his desire. His desire, his goal, his delight was in using regular people to accomplish his incredible purposes. This is how God works. And this is exactly what Paul reflects on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you so you can follow with me. This is a beautiful promise. It is both humbling and encouraging. Paul says this. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, impressive, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that 
no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God most often use regular people to accomplish his incredible purposes? So that he gets the glory. Now, if you're a student of church history, you're well aware of a number of significant minds that have used their gifts to bless the church. And we think of Paul the Apostle, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, even more recently C.S. Lewis, towering intellects who now even, whether it be 50 years or 500 years after their death, their writings are still being contemplated and reviewed. And we thank God for these minds that he has gifted to the church. And if you have read their books and you can understand them, it's impressive the way that God has gifted them. Absolutely. And we praise God for that. But the point still stands. More often than not, God uses regular people to accomplish his incredible purposes. God uses regular people. And then he calls them into a regular church. I, mean, I love what God is doing here at Brian. And I love what we're able to do. But I've been around long enough. I've met enough of you to know that most of y'all, you're just decidedly regular. <laughs> and likewise, you have heard enough of my sermons to know that I am decidedly regular. What do we do with that? Hmm? What do we do with that? Do we ignore it and minimize it and pretend that we're something? You see churches do this sometimes, right? Trying to somehow compete with the world to show how relevant or how cool or how hip or how amazing they can be. And let's be honest. Whenever churches try to do that, it just comes off really desperate and pathetic, doesn't it? It's like a middle school like principal being like, I'm gonna connect with these kids. So next assembly, I'm gonna do a rap song. And the kids are just sitting there like, oh, could you not do that? That's, oh, this is so uncomfortable. Why are you trying so hard to be like, just be a good principal and we'll be happy. So these 12 apostles, regular dudes, go out in the book of Acts and the church begins to spread. The gospel begins to go forward. The church is transforming the world. How? Through some pretty mundane, common, and regular practices. I mean, Acts 2.42 is a familiar one. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. How's that for a church growth strategy? A bunch of regular believers gathered together, doing regular things in full dependence on God. Just imagine that we as a church continue to do whatever we do 
with as much excellence as we can, sure. But imagine that we did the regular stuff really well. That we were a church and continue to become a church that prays well, that loves one another like Christ has loved us. That we offer grace and forgiveness because we've been so affected by the gospel. That we serve our neighbors with selflessness, with kindness, with love. That we live up to the name of being Bereans and we study God's word intently. You see, I know from the patterns that we see in scripture, the way that God works, that if we want to be a church that is truly used by God himself for his incredible purposes, we do the regular stuff really well. Because God delights to use regular people to accomplish his incredible purposes. Now back to you. Let me ask you something. Do you actually believe this? Do you believe that God wants to use you? Whether you're old or you're young, do you believe that God can use you? See, the problem is many of us don't say yes to being used by God. We never actually get there. We never see God working through us because we assume whenever he opens a door, whenever he gives us an opportunity, whenever there's a space and a calling to serve him in some way, we instantly think that he's talking to somebody else, right? I mean, after all, God can't use me. I mean, I, I'm too old. Oh, Devin, God could never use me. I'm too young. Devin, God could never use me. I get really flustered sometimes when people ask questions about the Bible. Oh, God could never use me. I, I have a really small apartment. I don't make much money. God could never use me. I, I don't know enough. God could never use me because I haven't been a Christian for that long. God could never use me because sometimes I don't know the answers, the questions that people ask. God could never use me because I've tried and I've failed in the past. God could never use me because I've made too many mistakes. What's the problem with all of those excuses? The problem is it's inherently self-focused. I, 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 I. These disciples that we read about here, they would have had so many reasons to think and to say, oh, surely the Messiah can't use me. I'm just a fisherman. Surely the Messiah can't use me. I'm the tax collector. Surely the Messiah can't use me. I'm from a, a backwoods, nothing little town with no formal training or education. So instead of being self-focused and saying, God could never use me because of this, because of this, because of this, let your eyes turn from the self to focus on the Savior. And to recognize that he doesn't need you to be anything to use you. That he delights to use regular people to accomplish his incredible purposes. These disciples, both in their initial calling and throughout their ministry, 
simply said yes. They said yes. So this week, what moments, what spaces, what opportunities, what relationships is God going to open a door so that you can be used by him? I don't know. But I can tell you this, that if you are very quick to discount yourself, to put yourself on the sidelines, to offer up excuses why God can't use you, you're never gonna see his power displayed. God doesn't need you to be something special. God doesn't need you to be an all-star. God doesn't need you to be dominant and and authoritative and, and incredible and enlightened and super smart and super articulate. Man, Jesus is all those things. He's already got that part handled. What you and I need to do is have willing hearts that say, okay, God, I'm gonna step forward in obedience. I'm gonna say yes, because I know that you use regular people for your incredible purposes. This week, may you be attentive. Listen. And have hope and confidence, not in your ability, but in the power of God. May you know deep in your soul that God can and will use you. You have no idea how God could use your prayers, how God could use your your financial resources to bless people, how God could use your faithfulness serving in kids' ministry to affect young lives for eternity. You have no idea how God is gonna use your simple act of obedience to serve your neighbors or to love your coworkers. God can and will use you, even if you are like me, decidedly regular. You can have confidence that God can use you. That is the pattern of scripture and it's the promise of the cross. How did Jesus come to this earth? How did he choose to go about saving his people? Reversing the effects of the fall, securing eternal life for his people. How did he go about it? He was born in a manger as a baby in what appeared to us to be just weakness. He goes to the cross and he dies as a common, regular criminal. He's crucified on the cross. He's between two other men being crucified. And all those people watching, even his closest friends, thought this was the end of the story. God could never use something like this. It's all so regular. We've seen this before. And yet at his resurrection, he shows us something powerful that he has triumphed over the grave. That what we perceived as being weakness was the power of God unto salvation. And that all who believe in him 
All who trust in Christ, in Christ alone, for the forgiveness of their sins can be saved. And he did all of this through what appeared to the world to be weakness. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. May we never be tempted to think that somehow our contribution to the kingdom rests on our natural abilities. May we never think as a church that the impact that we make is going to be through our own cleverness and programs. God uses regular people to accomplish his incredible purposes. Our job, our job is to say yes to him. Our job is to walk with him, to have confidence in him, and to step out in faith and say yes. These disciples were just like you and me. And when you read the Gospels, you, you see these, for lack of a better term, these boneheads. They're always messing stuff up. And it's pretty significantly. They're always making mistakes. They abandon Christ. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be executed. And he says to his closest friends, could you just pray for me? And they're like, yeah, we got you covered, Jesus. And then they pass out of sleep. They let him down time and time and time again. And then you turn the pages to the book of Acts. And the Spirit of God descends. And the Spirit indwells the disciples and empowers them for ministry. And you're sitting there saying, wait a second, is this the same Peter? Are these the same disciples? What's happened? They're different. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't take nine years off to study apologetics. They didn't get more answers from a human perspective. They didn't work on their methodology. What did they do? They received the spirit and they went out in power and the confidence that God was gonna use them. So church, this is us. I mean, this is our calling. If you call Jesus Lord, if you are a disciple of Christ, if you have trusted in him, you have been granted the spirit to indwell you and to empower you. So say yes. You may be decidedly regular, but God delights. God desires to use regular people to accomplish his incredible purposes. So say yes and watch God move. Let me pray. Jesus, we come before you, those of us who know you, who have trusted in you, as probably more than a little aware of just how regular we are. And sometimes we can look around and see other people who are brighter, who are better, who know more. 
And then we hear your call to serve or to step out in faith or to be obedient, to, to take an opportunity, and we instantly discount ourselves. We say, no, no, God, you could never use me. I pray, Father, that, that your spirit would help us to walk through this week with a sense of confidence and joy that you, in your glory, in your power, and with your authority, you use regular people. And we may look in the mirror and see all of our inadequacies. So help us to keep our eyes off of our own abilities and to focus on you, Christ, and your authority. God, you use regular people to accomplish your incredible purposes. Use the regular people here that call Berean home for your incredible purposes this week. For we ask this in your name. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.